have a good number of guests this morning who are out camping, I believe. They're from, uh, I heard there was a group from Lethbridge as well, and so it's awesome that there's, uh, that we have people who can come and join us in worship from all over Canada or all over Western Canada. And the summertime, I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love summer, and for a number of reasons, but I love the warm weather, and I love the fact that um, that you get to go out and enjoy nature in Nelson, and I know that the kids love the fact that school is out for the summer, and parents all love the fact that they can spend time with their kids, but I'm sure that they are okay with them going back to school, maybe at the end of August, and so uh, summertime is a very special time of year, and it's also a special time of year um, once every four years. This summer, there's going to be the Summer Olympics. How many of you follow the Summer Olympics when they happen? A couple of you? Okay, that's good. So for some people, this will be kind of applicable. But <laughs> The Summer Olympics are happening in Rio this summer, and uh, it's a really exciting time, and it's a great, um, you know, it's the opportunity for people from all over the world to come together to compete, and you see some of the amazing things that the human body can do, right? Some of the feats that they can accomplish. I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened eight years ago. So not the previous Summer Olympics, but the one before that, which was in Beijing. And there are a number of stories that come out of that that were uh, quite remarkable. There was uh, some great achievements made, but the story I'm going to tell you is about um, not an achievement, but actually a failure that happened at the, at the Beijing Olympics. But a couple of memorable things are, how many of you watched Michael Phelps during that year? When he did his swimming, I believe he won eight gold medals that year in Beijing, and I heard that one of them he won by one hundredth of a second. One hundredth of a second, a gold medal win. That is insane. I would not want to be the judge in that race to make that call, right? One hundredth of a second. Usain Bolt is another well-known name in the Olympics. He broke the world, or he rather shattered the world records in the 100 and 200 meter races, and uh, some people swore it looked like he was jogging near the end of those races to the finish line. He was so fast. But the story we're going to share about this morning is in the 4 by 100 relay race, the 4 by 100 relay race. So if you're not sure what that is, that is when there's a team of four athletes, and they're running around a track, and each of them has a 100 meter leg, and they pass a baton onto the next person, and they go and run their 100 meters, and they pass it on, they pass it on. The United States men's and women's teams that year, they were expected to win the gold. And they had been winning the gold for a long time. They were kind of dominating that sport. And uh, once again, it looked like they were going to do it. But both the men's and the women's team that year, they failed to qualify for the finals. They didn't even make it to the finals. And the reason why is because during both of their races, they dropped the baton. They dropped the baton, and for the first time in modern Olympic history, they didn't qualify. And it was quite a shocking thing for those who follow the 4x100 relay. And um, yeah, so that's one of the stories that comes out of there, but it might not be as well known. This morning, we're going to be talking about passing on the baton. So now it makes a little bit more sense why Blair is dressed up this way. He hasn't lost his mind. He's just dressing for the occasion, dressing for the theme. We're going to be talking about how we ourselves are going to be passing on a baton and how we can do that well. A month ago, we had our graduation at LVR, and we had some students who had graduated from there that come to our church, and, you know, but there are students from all over the place. I remember going to the parade and watching them in the cars, and it was a very exciting time, 
And high school graduation is an exciting time because these, these young adults now, they're transitioning into that new phase of life, right? And so for the parents who have their kids graduating, it's almost kind of like they're passing on the baton and you know, encouraging them as they run forward for their own leg of the race, right? Their own leg of the race into adulthood. And it can be a very scary thing for both the student and the parent. But it's also an extremely exciting time. This morning, our passage is going to be in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're just going to be looking at the first couple of verses, the first two verses of that chapter. And so I'll just give you a moment to, uh, to turn there. But while you do that, I'm just going to give a, a tiny bit of context of this uh, passage, because I know it always helps. 2 Timothy is a letter that was written by Paul to this young man named Timothy. It was the second one, obviously, because it's 2 Timothy. And he wrote to him to kind of encourage him, to instruct him, as, uh, as Timothy was kind of entering into ministry. And Paul wrote 2 Timothy from prison. Paul was imprisoned by Emperor Nero, and um, he was not in a very ideal situation. I know in the first chapter of 2 Timothy, kind of explains what's going on with him. But it's nearing the end of Paul's life. We're kind of coming to the closing, closing time for him, and he kind of knows this. And so he's taking this time to write this letter to Timothy, to encourage him and to equip him for ministry because Timothy is going to continue on in active ministry whereas Paul's time is coming to an end because his life is coming to an end. And so that's where he's writing here. So the first chapter, like I said, is just kind of explaining his situation and um, greeting him and encouraging him. And chapter 2 is kind of where he gets right into the teaching, but this is right at the beginning of it. So this is Second Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. If we take a look at this passage, we will actually see relay language happening here. There is a 4 by 100 type of relay happening in these two verses. And we're going to take a look here because we know that in a 4 by 100 there are four legs. And in this passage, there are four legs of this race that Paul is kind of describing. Paul is running the first leg, and he passes the baton, transitions to Timothy. He's teaching Timothy right there in the passage. He says, all these things that I've taught you. And then he instructs Timothy that it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just Paul teaching Timothy, and that's it. Timothy then is instructed to go and teach other reliable people. So there's your third leg, the reliable people. But it doesn't stop there. The reliable people will then go and teach others, which is the fourth leg. And, you know, obviously it goes on and goes on and on. And that's the idea that Paul is is, uh, sharing here, is that this gospel and this thing that he is teaching Timothy are not meant to be kept to themselves, but to be passed on to others and others and others, so that even though Paul's life would end and Timothy's life would end, those reliable people's lives would end, the gospel would still be spreading. And as we know, the gospel did spread. In Rome, it kind of exploded in there, and that's how you know where we are today with Christianity is because it didn't stop; it just kept going. And so there is a baton being passed from Paul to Timothy to the reliable people to others, and eventually to you and me. And we have a responsibility; we play a part in what's happening here. We are to pass on this baton to others. Now, those of you who know me know that I am the next-gen pastor, the youth pastor here, and so the context that I see this through is kind of passing the baton to the next generation, to the next generation of believers. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. 
more so, but that's kind of the context of which I'm going to be looking at this scripture, but this scripture can be applied to passing the baton to anybody, obviously. And so let's keep that in mind as we talk a bit this morning about that. The unfortunate reality is, is that I'm sure a lot of us, if not all of us, have witnessed a bad baton pass, a bad passing on of the gospel to the next generation, a time where it didn't quite stick, stick the landing, either um, because of something the person who was supposed to be passing the baton to or the person receiving it, or we have seen young adults pass, or not pass, drop the baton, drop the faith and walk away from, from God in those years. And so what do we do? How do we ensure that we are going to have good, strong baton passes to the next generation? So in keeping in today's theme and to further justify my clothing choices, we're going to continue with the relay theme. And so what I'm going to do is this morning I'm going to look at three official rules for relay races, and it's from the official United States track and field relay rule book. These are quotes from it. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of these rules, and then we're going to apply them to the context of us passing on the baton of the gospel to the next generation, to our kids, and to, well, not just our kids, to youth anywhere, because we as a church, we have a responsibility to do that. So let's take a look at the first one. Rule number 25. It says, The baton shall be smooth, hollow, circular tube, made of wood, metal, or other rigid material in one piece. Its length shall be between 28 to 30 centimeters. Its circumference shall be 12 to 13 centimeters. And it shall weigh not less than 50 grams. No material or substance may be applied to the baton. It's kind of a strange rule to be thinking about. But I guess it's really important. And what's really important for us, so the first thought I'm going to put forward is that when it comes to passing on the baton, we have to make sure that it's the right baton. It's the right baton. What are we passing on to our kids? Obviously, we know that the gospel is what we want to be passing on to our kids, the life-transforming gospel that has transformed our lives, and we want to see it transform their lives as well, and them carry on so that they can then pass it on to others. But unfortunately, sometimes we get a little bit sidetracked. There are things that we want to teach our kids, things that we want to see in them, and they're really good things, but if we focus too much on them, we lose track of what we're really supposed to be doing. So some of the things such as strong morals or a great work ethic, maturity, educational success, there's a whole list of things that we obviously want to see in our kids, right? We want to see them have these qualities, and that's not a bad thing. But when it becomes just about teaching them things from a checklist instead of teaching them that it all revolves around the gospel, we lose track. We lose focus of what we're supposed to be doing. The idea is that when the kids have when the next generation, when their lives are transformed by the gospel, a lot of these things on this list will just kind of evolve from that, right? If their heart is transformed by Christ, they will have strong morals or a great work ethic or things like that. Just to kind of give you um, a little bit more of an example, two years ago, actually probably about to the date, um, two years ago in July, I came out here to Nelson, never been here before, and I came out to interview, and I interviewed with Pastor Chris, and I interviewed with the youth leaders, who were very scary at first, but now I think we get along just well. But I remember sitting down with them, and it was a whole group, and it was very intimidating, but it was fun. And then I also interviewed with the SLT. Now, if I had, at any of those meetings, told them that, you know, obviously I'm excited to come out here in Nelson to be a youth pastor, to, to teach your kids, 
And, but all I did was kind of give them a list such as strong morals, a great work ethic, maturity, and educational success. And I was to say, this is what I'm going to teach your kids. But I never mentioned the gospel. I don't think I'd be here today, obviously, right? Because as a youth pastor, you would expect me to be teaching your kids the gospel, not just these things. And so that's something we have to keep in mind as a, as a church and as parents and as families, that it's all about the gospel. It has to be the right baton. Our second rule, rule number two, each takeover zone shall be 20 meters long, of which the scratch line is the center. The zone shall start and finish at the edges of the zone lines, nearest the start line in the running direction. That rule is a little bit confusing, so I'm just going to clarify it. What it's describing is that during the race, during each leg, in between them, there is a zone, a 20-meter-long zone, that the baton has to be passed. It cannot be, bata- cannot be passed before that, cannot be passed after that, has to take part in that zone or it doesn't happen at all. So our second thought this morning is that the space to pass the baton is limited. Now, to add a little bit more clarification on that, when I say that, I'm not saying that when somebody turns 18 and they move away from home and you are not confident that your child has accepted Christ and has been transformed by the gospel, that it's too late, that there's no hope. That's not what I'm saying this morning. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But rather, we have to respect the fact that there is a specific time in someone's life that is really ideal for passing on the baton. And that is when they're before they move out on their own into adulthood, right? Because the first 18 years of someone's life are extremely informative to who they're going to be, the kind of person that they're going to be, and the time when us as parents will have the most influence on them, right? We probably have a lot more influence on our 13-year-old than we do on our 25-year-old, although we're not saying we don't have influence on the 25-year-old. But we have to respect the fact that during those 18 years, it's prime time to be sharing the gospel with them, not only sharing it by word, by sharing it by our actions as well. We need to be living the gospel for them as a living example. Uh, how many of you have teenage children right now by a show of hands? Anybody here? A couple of you? How many of you, those same people, have had their teenager roll their eyes at them? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, as a little bit of encouragement, I'm a youth pastor, and they roll their eyes at me too, so don't worry. It happens to Everybody? I try to be cool, but I'm just not quite cool enough for our youth, but I work on it. Um, But just to encourage you, they may roll their eyes at you, but they are listening, and they are watching what you do. And it's very important that we take that responsibility seriously, that during this time when they are learning who they're going to be, that we are showing them what it means to live as someone who's been transformed by the gospel as a disciple of Christ. But I just want to take a little moment, I want to tag an extra thought on this one to expand it a little bit to the idea that um, even if you're someone who doesn't have um, kids under 18 right now, our time is limited to pass on the baton to anyone. We have a limited amount of time on this earth, right? We have a certain amount of days, we have a certain amount of hours, minutes, seconds that we have left here. And only God knows how much that is. We don't know. And we also don't know how long people are going to be, you know, crossing our paths in our lives. So we have to respect the fact that we have a limited amount of time to pass on the gospel to others, to pass on that baton, and we need to be taking that seriously. We can't just be sitting around delaying it because 
you know, I'll do it tomorrow kind of thing. Because the reality is we don't know when our time here is done. And it's very temporary. I see this in a very personal way because when the youth graduate from high school and they move away, I don't really see them. My influence on their life gets, you know, dramatically decreased. You know, I can, we have um, Kevin McBride and Michael Marsden. Uh, Michael Marsden especially, he, like he's moving away um, to Ontario. And so I can keep up with him and I can talk with him, but I don't have nearly as much you know, influence or opportunities to, sh- to speak into his life as I did when he was here. And so that's a very real reality for me. Our final rule this morning, rule number 12. The baton shall be carried by hand throughout the race. If dropped, it shall be recovered by the athlete who dropped it. He or she may leave the assigned lane to retrieve the baton, provided no other runner is impeded, and provided that by doing so, the distance to be covered is not lessened. So our final thought today is an encouragement for any parent out there, for anyone really, who feels like there has been, you know, like a failure or the passing of the baton is not going well or you're really worried about it. A dropped baton is not the end of the race. Now, I know I told a story about two teams who didn't make the finals because they dropped the baton. It's not because they were disqualified, but they just kind of, um, you know, they took the time to pick it up and they lost time. And so it's not the end of the race. And that's extremely important to remember. There's an unfortunate reality in our world, and there was, um, it really hit me like a ton of bricks these past couple weeks while I was doing some research. Research had been released by a group called Gallup, and they said that anywhere between 40 to 60% of graduates who were involved in their youth group and in their church will fail to stick to their faith during their college years. 40 to 60%. That is very frightening for me to think about. 40 to 60%. It breaks my heart to think that 40%, you know, according to research, 40 to 60% of my youth group won't stick to their faith in the years following high school. And so there's, there's a real danger. There's a real problem. And so we need to be taking this seriously. We also need to realize that Dropped batons are not the end of the race. When we are faced with data like this, with research, this is 40 to 60% of, uh, of young adults are falling away from faith, or we witness this firsthand, sometimes we can tend to play the blame game a little bit as to why this is happening. So the first one, I'm just going to get this out of the way, people might blame the youth group. People might blame Blair. What is he doing why are they eating so much pizza and not, not sharing the gospel more? Come on, Blair. Less pepperoni, more Jesus. What's happening there? Some people might blame the parents. They might say that the parents have failed in their responsibility to pass on the baton, that they didn't talk enough about the gospel, that they didn't uh, exhibit the gospel in their own lives as much. Or people can even blame the church. They can say that the church has become irrelevant The church has become hypocritical, and young adults don't want to be a part of it. There's lots of opportunities for blame to be passed around. But when we get stuck in the blame game as to why people are dropping the batons, I get this mental image in my head of the United States men's team who are going to win the gold medal. They drop the baton, and they all stand around the baton, and they're all blaming each other. They're all talking about whose fault it is while everyone else is running past them. Right? That's the image I get because we get so caught up on who's to blame is that 
we don't realize that the race is still going, that we can pick up that baton, that we can get back into it. And there are so many examples in Scripture of people who came to faith later in their lives, and the most vivid one is the thief on the cross who found salvation in the very last hours of his life. The race is not over while we are still here, while we are still breathing. And this conversation about blaming each other can get so frustrating because we can all do better. I know that the youth group can do better. I know that I can do better. And the parents know that they can do better. And the church should know that it can do better. So how are we doing it? Are we just going to sit around and we're just going to blame each other and blame ourselves and just leave the baton there? Or are we going to get back into it? This morning, if you are someone who has felt that you have fumbled the baton as you were trying to pass it on to others, maybe your children, maybe just to somebody who needed the gospel and you felt like you had fumbled it, and this could have been through hypocritical living on your part or, or neglect in our responsibility, I want to encourage you today that it's not over. The race isn't over. We can still go forward and pass on that baton. If you're someone this morning who has received the baton, who has received the gospel from parents or from, from somebody else, but you have dropped it, that you have um, walked away from faith or feel like you're walking away from faith, and it could be from turning your back on God, it could be by getting caught up in sin in your own selfish desires, or it could even be a slow drop of apathy and kind of indifference. Let's get back in the race. Pick it back up. It's not over. Or finally, if you are someone who is carrying the baton into a takeover lane. Now, just to clarify, this means everybody. We are all in the takeover lane here. There is somebody in your life who needs the baton, and you are carrying it, and you can share it with them. So that's everybody here, not just parents. But this one is, so if you're like a parent of a teenager or a child, if you're a teacher, a coach, a boss, a coworker or someone who has their own Timothy in their life, someone younger, both in age or spiritual maturity that you can take under your wing. This is really real for me because my son is seven weeks old. And so when we do our Bible study at home, he doesn't really respond to me much, so I feel like there's nothing really going on there. But I know that I'm going into the takeover lane with him and that he's going to be getting older and I have a responsibility as a father to be demonstrating and sharing the gospel with him. And so that is something that, that I have to realize, and we all have to realize, is that not only is it coming up, but we are in it right now. And so I want everyone here to be leaving today with two questions on their minds and hopefully two answers. Question is, who are you going to be passing the baton on to? And how are you going to do it tomorrow? How are you going to do it tomorrow? I want to conclude today with doing a little bit of a talk on our next-gen ministries because a lot of people here are not parents of children or teenagers. Maybe your children have their own children who are teenagers, or maybe you don't have any children at all, and that's okay. Um, I want to share an opportunity for everybody in this room to be involved in next-gen ministries, to be involved in something that is actively passing on the baton to the next generation. You all have an opportunity here this morning. I'm just going to share some of them so that you can start thinking about them if this is something you'd like to do. So in next-gen ministries, we have two, two different ministries that happen. We have our middle school, one which is named Schlam. We're probably going to change the name this summer because I still don't know what it means, and I've been here for two years. 
So uh, we're probably going to change that. And then we have core youth, which is our high school group. So for SHLAM, there are a couple different ways you can be involved. You can come out as a SHLAM leader, which, and, and that happens on Tuesdays from 3.30 to 5. It's a very high-energy ministry, and we uh, so far have relied on the leadership of high school students to come out and, and help out with that. But we're always looking for people of any age who wants to come out and be involved. And a lot of that is just, a lot of that with Next Gen Ministries is just loving and investing in these kids. It's just spending the time with them. It's playing games with them. It's talking with them, building community. And that's what we look for in a SLAM leader. Or you can be someone, if you can't commit that time or energy, who brings snacks. And I know that that's such a strange thing to say, but never underestimate the power of food in a teenager's life. Never underestimate that. I bring, I bring snacks to Schlamm every week. I go out and I buy cookies and stuff like that because I'm not very good at baking. I'm just going to lay that out there. So I buy them, and they enjoy it. But when they see that somebody has spent the time and the love and the energy to make them something and bring it to them and serve them in that way, it blows kids' minds. It blows teenagers' minds. I'm not even kidding. They will see that love, and they will see that, that you love them enough to invest in that way. So that's something you can do as well. In core youth, you can be a core leader. Uh, the majority of our core leaders are young adults, so there's kind of this um, myth or misconception that you have to be a young adult to be a youth leader. That is not true at all. Carrie Marsland and Shane Taylor have been youth leaders since, I think they're on their ninth or tenth year coming up. They've been in it for a long time. And, uh, and they are not young adults, and so... It can be anyone of any age. There is, no, there is no age cap on being a youth leader. What we need from you is for you to love and invest your time into these kids and to show them that you care. There's a saying in youth ministry that kids will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. So that's what we need. We need people who care about these kids who want to invest in them and spend time with them. I am a firm believer that if a student graduates high school and goes into this time of their life where 40 to 60% of them will walk away, I believe that if at least one adult in their life who is not a family member is actively investing and loving them and investing time in their lives and kind of in being involved in their walk with Jesus, they will go into college with a stronger faith because they see it being demonstrated by, by not only their family but people outside of that, and they know that people care about them and care about their walk with Christ. If a youth leader is not your, not your flavor, you could be a youth driver. We're always looking for people who can transport kids to retreat and stuff like that. And spending that time in the car with them to laugh and to, to sing and to, and to talk about what maybe they learned at that retreat is something we're always looking for. Looking for people who can support the youth ministry by kind of helping plan and decorate events. Looking for people who can uh, even occasionally provide snacks. Now, a quick story with that. Jeff Strong's, Pastor Jeff's uh, small group this last year they decided on a Wednesday night they were going to serve, and they were going to serve by bringing snacks. They just brought, like, chips and salsa and stuff like that to the youth group. And I didn't really tell the kids that this was happening. And they showed up, and the kids were like, what is going on? There's people in the back of the church, and we don't know them. But I'm going to tell you that I had kids coming up to me weeks later telling me how cool it was that they came and how much they appreciated that. They just brought snacks. They just brought snacks. That's all they did. But it spoke volumes to them. Because they see that the energy and the love and the investment that we put into them. And it makes them feel special. So once again, don't underestimate the power of food in a teenager's life. 
And finally, this is one that can apply to everybody in the group because I'm going to apply. I'm going to cover all the bases. Outside on the on the table there, there's a sign-up sheet, and it's called the Next Gen Prayer List. And what it is is, if you want to be involved in Next Gen Ministries by being a prayer warrior for us, you can write your name and your email address down. And uh, starting in the school year, every every week we will send out prayer requests. But what we're going to be talking about in youth group what things are coming up with SLAM, some specific prayer requests for myself or some of our youth or some of our leaders. And what we really need is we need the church to be behind us and we need, um, we need those prayer warriors to support our ministry. I remember when I came out here to interview, the one thing I heard about the most was that this church was a church that was excited for next-gen ministries. And that got me really excited too. And I see it. I see it so much. I see it in how enthusiastic we are about youth ministry here, and I'm excited about it. It gives me energy, and so I wanted to just take the time today to let you know about opportunities that you can get involved, because it's something we can do as a church. It's something we can get behind. So I just wanted to share that with you this morning and tag that on there, and so uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask Dennis to come back up and start a closing song for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, um, thank you for the baton that we have and the gospel that, uh, that has transformed our lives, God. And we just thank you that, um, that we have these opportunities, like Paul and Timothy had, to pass on the baton to others, to pass them on to our kids, to pass them on to the next generation, or just anybody that crosses our path. And I just pray that you would, uh, that you would show us this week who in our lives needs that baton and how we can go about passing it to them, God. And I just pray that, uh, yeah, that we would be a people who would, who would be actively searching for that. Amen.